Well, go ahead and have a seat, please. So when I was growing up, I wanted to be a garbage man. I thought it was pretty cool when I saw the garbage man hanging off the back of the truck. So I thought, hey, I'll do that. Um, I remember taking my socks off and putting them on my hands as gloves. And I'd take all my toys out of my toy chest. And that was my garbage truck. And I would put them all back in. And then somehow I wanted to be like a chiropractor when I was in seventh grade. And growing up, I had no idea what, what a pastor even was. So here I am. God had different plans. Um, I'm glad that we get to continue on in this gear shift sermon series. What we're trying to help you do is to be present in your relationships, but super productive in your work. So we're trying to accomplish both. And so we are using the metaphor of a gear shifter. And it's important that we are in the right gear at the right time. Um, and when we think of an engine, when an engine is not in the right gear at the right time, it can trash the engine and it can be less effective than what it should be. If you're on the highway and you're in gear one, uh, that's a problem. Um, if you are in the driveway and you are out of the car and you're in reverse, not in park, as we learned last Sunday, that's a problem because then you're minivan is headed for the road and then in your neighbor's yard headed for their house. That happened to me not too long ago. So we want to be in the right gear at the right time. Let me just briefly give you a gear, these five gears, as a, you know, an overview of them. So R is response gear. This is when we back up and we apologize for something we've done wrong. Gear one is recharge gear. This is when we engage in activities that refresh and renew us. Gear two is connect gear, connect mode. This is when we're personally connecting with another person below the surface of how the sports and the weather is, but there's more of a heart-to-heart -heart conversation and connection. Gear three is social gear, social mode. That's the gear we're in currently right now. A lot of graduation parties this time of the year. When you're at a graduation party, you are in gear three. Gear four is multitask mode. And I shared before, nobody truly multitasks. We bounce our attention from one thing to the next and back and forth. But nobody's really multitasking or switching. But that's when you're at the office and email pops in and then you get dinged on your phone and now you get a text message and then somebody comes into your office and you, you need to have a conversation with, that's, that's task mode. Gear five, the gear we're gonna talk about today is hyper-focus mode. This is when your nose is down, you're getting it done. This is usually when time just flies by, okay? So these are the five gears. Just so you know, we're going to be using the live polling again this Sunday. So if you have your phone handy, um, get it out. You'll be answering questions towards the end of the sermon. So just have it ready. Uh, no playing video games or reading the news. Okay. All right, so here, here are the verses that I want to mention to you that's going to drive what I share with you today. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1, 31. I'm skipping down. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And then we have Genesis 2.15. That has this verse, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So, one note here. Gear 5 is focus mode. It's when you're getting stuff done. I'm going to really pay attention and speak to work. But you can be at home and not at your job and be in gear 5, right? I just was talking to somebody at breakfast before the service and by the way if you're not coming to breakfast I'm telling you you are missing out there is like these potato things with green peppers and ham and pioneer coffee oh I walked in this morning that's all I could smell come on now they were getting it done in the kitchen work they were being productive you need to come but anyways I was talking to somebody who said had a great day yesterday and what she was describing was she was in gear five. She got a lot of stuff done. She was super productive, and that is a good feeling. But I'm mainly talking about th this Sunday about your vocation. First thing I want you to know is God is a worker. A lot of the times we don't think of God as a worker, but he is. He worked for six days, and then he rested. Um, work is emphasized in that creation account. We see God creating the realms of heaven, sky, waters, and earth. And then on days four, five, and six, we see him filling these realms with, with inhabitants, right? He, he, he fills the sea with fish, and he fills the, the, the heaven and the skies with the sun, moon, and stars. We see God filling the earth with um, animals and human beings. Genesis 1 and 2, what it depicts God as is an artist. He's working as an artist. It depicts him as a gardener, right? Creating the Garden of Eden. It depicts him as a manual laborer as he takes the dust of the earth and he fashions humans. God is a worker. And did God work begrudgingly? Did he have a per perpetual case of the Mondays? No. God, he delighted in his work. He loved it. He's looking at the fruit of his labor each day and he's saying it's good it's good it's good and then on the sixth day he said oh it's very good god is a worker and you know what god continues to work it's one of the reasons we can rest is because god is always working he's always working to sustain the creation that he made he never grows tired he never grows weary and that's why we can rest because we're not in charge he is and he is always sustaining things. All right, so work, it turns out, is as old as the earth itself. Second thing, God's a worker. God created you to work. 
Part of being made in God's image is that you were made with the intellectual capabilities and the physical capabilities and the emotional capabilities to work. And when we work, we reflect the image of our maker. Bob Thune, an author, he writes this. I love how he puts it. Adam's dominion over the garden was to expand into dominion over the whole earth. By producing godly offspring and teaching them to work, Adam and Eve were to subdue all of creation. The language of subduing and ruling mirrors what God did in creation, turning chaos into order. Adam and Eve are to turn the whole earth into the Garden of Eden. And it won't happen by magic, but by concerted effort. Theologians call Genesis 1, 27 and 28 the cultural mandate. God is mandating that humans will create culture. Adam and Eve will produce children. Those children will create families, and those families will band together into cities and social networks. Those networks of human beings will reflect all the aspects of human culture. Language and art, music, food, philosophy, and theology. Check out this. It is no accident that the ultimate biblical picture of redeemed humanity involves a city. Revelation 21.2. A city reflects human culture in its most developed and complex forms. God's purpose for humanity started in a garden, but it culminates in a great cultural center. One of my seminary professors used to say God expected Adam and Eve to split the Adam. He didn't just intend for them to have babies and plant trees. This doesn't sound all too bad, does it? I'm just joking. All right. They, they were meant to ex exercise dominion over all of creation, turning the entire earth into a showcase of the glory and beauty and majesty of God, and then working it and caring for it for all of eternity. You see, God, as soon as he created the first humans, he gave them a job description. And I created a tool that will help us understand what our job description as humans is. This was the first job description. We are to subdue creation, which means we are to control it, we are to tame it, we are to make it work for us. The second thing God called us to do was to tend creation. We're to manage and direct it. We are to develop it. It's rich, raw potential we are to develop. We are to keep it. We're to care for it. We're to maintain it. We're to develop it in ways that are actually good stewardship um, towards the created order. And then we are to multiply. We are to re reproduce God-honoring people and culture. This was our original job description. And we do these things. We rule in this way for human flourishing. And for the, even the flourishing of the non-human creation as well. John Mark Comer in his book Garden City, he gives some examples of what this subduing, tending, and keeping in particular can look like in real life. He says this, when a builder takes a tree and a rock and rearranges it into a home for somebody to sleep and play and make love and relax and live in. When a fashion designer takes fabric and metal and rearranges it into something with shape and beauty and functionality. When a musician takes a sound and a tone and a melody and rearranges it into something coherent and mesmerizing. When a graphic designer takes a shape and a color palette and a typeface and rearranges it into something catchy and tasteful. All of this is the work of cultivation. 
of drawing out something's potential. In fact, our word culture comes straight from, the idea, from this idea of cultivation. Good culture is the result of even better people hard at work rearranging the raw stuff of planet Earth into a place of delight. If you... So one thing we really need to grab a hold of is if you are a welder, that in and of itself is honoring to God. And when you weld, it glorifies Him. We often think that the way to do work that glorifies God is to like be in some kind of ministry or ministerial role like a pastor. If you are a nurse, when you go and you care for that patient, that is glorifying God. You are resembling Him. Um, when you, whatever you do, if you're an electrician and you're taking the raw materials of the earth and you're creating things that now can be powered by electric, that glorifies God. You are resembling your maker in that act. If you're an engineer and you come up with designs for how machines can operate optimally, and those machines are contributing to human flourishing, that work in and of itself pleases God. You don't have to be a pastor to do work that is pleasing to God and glorifying to Him. We've got to grab a hold of this because we spend 40 to 60 hours of every week doing our work. We have to see it as valuable as a form of worship if you are a janitor and you are cleaning and you're allowing an organization to have clean facilities to operate in and they're producing some good that is benefiting uh, the, the community, that is an act of worship. That is good. That is God glorifying. May this be true and real to us. Here's the third thing I want to mention. God is a worker. You were created to work as you reflect his image. Third thing is, without work, you will not flourish. Last week I mentioned that if you, got, if you get stuck in gear five, and you're always about productivity, and you're never, able, you're never able really to truly downshift into gear one, which is recharge mode, that is a problem that is unhealthy, that is unsustainable. You're kicking against the way you were made, and that never works. But the opposite is true. If you are always in gear one, recharge mode, and you never get to gear five and get in that hyper-productive work mode, then that is a problem. That is unhealthy. You will not flourish. God has hardwired us to work. It's part of what it means to be fully human. Jesus, our model for what it means to be fully human, he worked. He was a manual laborer for most of his life. If he lived 33 years, his public ministry only lasted three years. He spent way more time as a manual laborer than he did in his public ministry. So none of that time was valuable in Jesus' life. He wasn't reflecting God's image as he worked as a manual laborer. No. He was doing what he was created to do. Look. There are, are, there's a bunch of scripture about laziness, about idleness, um, the dangers of it. If you read the book of Proverbs, 
It's full of such verses. Jesus, he addressed this problem of idleness and laziness in the parable of the talents. If you look at the words of Apostle Paul, he flat out told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. This is how central work is to being human. Look, there's no surprise when people who are not working struggle with depression. They struggle with a lack of purpose and meaning in life. Struggle with anxiety. They were made to work. And it's not a surprise either when people retire, they often have trouble with retirement because they were made to work. And if they're just sitting in a lazy boy watching the same news over and over on repeat every single day, they're not going to flourish in retirement. We may retire from paid work, but we should never retire from work. We are made to do it. That's how we flourish. That's how the people around us flourish as well. For the retired person, you think about what work provides them. It provides them with a routine. It provides them with meaning and purpose, an outlet to use their gifts and their talents a way to impact the world. And when that's taken away, if they don't find work that can replace it, they're going to struggle in retirement. All right. Without work, we will not flourish. Here's number four. This is what I want to mention to you next. Christianity provides a third way to view work. We have people that tend to operate in one of two poles. One pole is they overvalue work. And they're seeking to find ultimate satisfaction, significance, and security through what they do. That doesn't work because only Jesus can provide it. So the other pole where other people are living is they undervalue work. They see work as this necessary evil, something just to get through so you can have a roof over your head and food on your table. Everybody's working for the weekend, just like the song you know, tells us. And everybody's trying to get to retirement. That is the promised land of the people that undervalue work. Christianity provides us a third way to view work. And let me just explain how so. Christianity affirms the goodness of work. We explain that, right? Work is a good thing. It existed before the fall and sin entered the world. Christianity also asserts that work is now cursed by humanity's sin. So work right now is a mixed bag for us. We experience it as a mixed bag. It can be good and we can thrive in it to some extent and we can produce things that lead to human flourishing. And yet we also experience horrible bosses, toxic work environments, injustice and gossip in the workplace. And so work is often full of difficulty and toil because work has, it's under the curse that us humans brought into the world. So it's good to know that because we should expect work to be difficult, right? So Christianity affirms the goodness of work. It's honest about the fact that work is now cursed and that's why we have a lot of problems with it and it's a mixed bag. Thirdly, Christianity also tells us that work can be redeemed. When Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, he creates us anew. What does he create us anew for? Check this out, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we are in Christ through repentance and faith, what are the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? It is ruling 
through subduing, tending, keeping, and multiplying the creation for God's glory and for the flourishing of the human and non-human creation. That's what he saves us to do. So we are not saved by work, but we are saved for it. We are saved to work. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he actually gives us the character and the heart to approach work in the right way. So that work is put in its proper place in our life where we don't overvalue it and we don't undervalue it. All right, so let's get really practical here. So if we are to work, and that's how we flourish as humans, and that's how other people around us are going to flourish, what should we be doing for our work? What should our vocation be? How do we discern it? Well, there are no, you're not going to find a scripture verse, a scripture passage that tells you exactly what you should be doing for your vocation. And so the best we can do is use biblical principles to guide our decision-making process. And so here's a tool that I think will help because what we need to do is look at our unique wiring, how God has uniquely designed us as clues to what we should be doing for our work. So let me explain this tool to you. Love. What do you love to do? What are you passionate about? You know, it's amazing to me because I've never struggled with this, but I don't know. Some people can't tell you what they're passionate about. If you ask them, like, what are you really passionate about? I, I, I don't know. Have you really considered that? What do you love to do? Needs. What does the world need to flourish in the way as, to flourish as God defines it? What, are the, what does the world need right now to flourish in the ways that God defines it? Pay. Look, we got to make a living, right? It's okay to get paid for what you do. The laborer is worth his wages. How can you make money? Right? That, that should be a factor. Good. What are you good at? Based on your life experiences, based on your God-given uh, personality, strengths, weaknesses, gifts, all of that, what are you good at? You find these four things, and you're operating there and working there, you have found the work sweet spot. And guess what? You are going to be fulfilled, and you're going to have maximum impact on the world. Here's the problem. Here's what we, I think, most often see in the world. Most often, people are in that little area of two where the number two is they're doing something the world needs for flourishing they're getting paid to do it but they don't love it they don't love it you may be right there this morning other people uh they're doing something they love and that they're good at but the world doesn't need it and if you're doing something you love and you're good at, number four, you're, you're right where the number four is, but you're not getting paid, you know what that is? It's a hobby. It's a hobby. And so, how do all you find that sweet spot where all four of these come together? Some people, they're doing something the world needs, they're getting paid to do it. They may even enjoy it, but they're not good at what they do. They're not good at it. Right? Okay. So, let's 
take a little live poll. I'm curious, get your phone out. Is your job right now currently in your sweet spot? If you're retired, have you found a work to do in retirement that's in your sweet spot? Now you, if you're retired, you may not need the pay circle. Uh, maybe you have a nest egg that's good enough and you can live without having to get paid for work. But in your retirement, have you found work then that meets the other three things of you're passionate about it, you love it, the world needs it, and you're good at it? Okay, so yes or no, that's the first question I would like you to answer. So are you able to get it up? One second, it logged us out. Nice. <laughs> Is your job in the sweet spot is what you, what you want to answer. So she's going to get the QR code up here. You can take a picture of the QR code or you can go to slido.com and enter in the number that will be on the screen hopefully soon. Is it going to go? Yep. All right, there. Wait. Hopefully it'll go. There we go. We're here. All right, is that from last service? Yeah. All right, so a lot of people were operating in their sweet spot last service. Um, that's not normal, so um, what? People are doing it. Oh, right now? Yep. Okay, so this is, uh, okay, good. So where are we at? Where are we? <laughs> That's good if this is uh, true. If you guys are answering honestly. Good. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. All right. Uh, let me teach you another tool that can be helpful to discern whether you're operating in your sweet spot. Um, this is called the 70-30 principle. And so a company that I work with called Giant, they've worked with hundreds of of organizations all over the globe and they found a principle that's generally true. They have found that if a person is in a job and 70% of their job comes natural to them, is in their wheelhouse, is uh, life-giving to them, and 30% is the part of their job that is not life-giving, they might be competent at that 30%, but it's, it's something that takes a lot of mental and energy. If you're at a 70-30 split, that's usually pretty good. and You're going to be able to be healthy in that position, and you're going to be able probably to avoid burnout. The problem is when these get flip-flopped and you start getting at 50-50 or you start getting at only 40% of your job is life-giving and natural to you, and now you're at 60% that isn't, and obviously, the more they get lopsided in the other direction, the, the more increased risk of burnout. So here is what I want you to answer. What is your 70-30 split? So are you right now like at 90% of what I do, life-giving, it's easy, it comes natural, only 10% is, is a struggle? Are you at 70-30? Or, and you can see all the other options. So the first number is the natural part, life-giving part. You're really unconsciously competent. You can just do it without thinking too much. And the second number is the opposite. 
Um, it's interesting. So this happened in the first service as well. I would expect if, if we had as high amount of people in their sweet spot on the last question, I would expect more to be 80-20, 90-10, 70-30. So that's, that's interesting. There's, there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. But, so these are good tools to think about in terms of determining, all right, God, what do you want me to do for my work? All right, here is the last thing I'll share with you, the last tool. So once we discern what God wants us to do for our, our vocation, what attitude should we approach our work with? When we're in gear five and we're hyper-focused, especially in the workplace, what should be the attitudes of our heart? Here's what I want to share with you. Remember, work is a good gift, but a horrible God. Work is a good gift, but a horrible God. And so you should be thankful that you can work. You should be thankful that you can do that. That God has given you the ability, the mental, physical, emotional ability to work. You should be full of gratitude that you get to partner with him as a co-creator to subdue, tend, keep, multiply. Right? Second thing is, remember, work is cursed. And so it's this side of heaven. It is this side of the new world, the new Jerusalem. It's going to be full of challenges. And so expect it. Don't be surprised when they come. Uh, the third thing is, in your work, exhibit high character and competency. It's a major problem when we have people that claim Christ and they don't have high character and they're not highly competent at what they do. They do shoddy work and they contribute to the toxic culture that's at their workplace, the gossip, the drama. That hurts Christ's representation. Uh, 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 it's a poor representation of Christ. It hurts his reputation. It does not glorify him. And so Christians, if you claim Christ, you should be the best worker in your company. You should be highly competent. And if you're not highly competent, you should be doing everything you can to become highly competent. And you should have character that you operate with that shines and speaks Jesus to the people around you. Okay? Fourth... Fourth thing, seek to please God and not man. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please your customers if you're a teacher to please your students. But when they're, when pleasing them uh, starts dictating how you behave, and when you start behaving in ways that are contrary to the ways of Jesus, that's when it's a problem. And so many things happen at work and become problems because people are seeking to please man and not God. All right, let's pray. And by the way, if anybody has any questions on this, on the, the website that I had you go to to answer the questions, you can act, actually input any questions that you have. And if you have them, input them, and I'll do my best at some point in the series to answer them or... Um, and use another means of communication, maybe an email to everybody to answer them, or we'll figure out some way to respond to those questions. Here's the thing before I pray. Some of you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to get a different job. You're not operating in your sweet spot. It's time to move along, because when you're not operating in your sweet spot, you suffer and the world suffers because you are not doing the thing that will enable you to have the most impact in the world. Because 
that's how God has wired you. Some of you are in the right spot with your job, but you need to approach it with a different attitude. The attitudes we're talking about here. And there needs to be a shift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you created us in your image and that we get to work, that we get to be your partners as we take the raw potential of creation and we, we take it and we mold it and shape it and subdue it and tend it and keep it to create goods and services and culture and art for human flourishing and for your glory. Lord, I pray that each person here would find their work, they would see the value of their work, that they would have a good theology of work, that they would see it as spiritual, that they would see it as an act of worship, that they would see it as one of the main ways that they love you and love their neighbor as themselves is through their work. It's the purpose of our work. We are to love you through our work, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so may we have that understanding. And Lord, I pray that if there are retirees here, which I know there are, that they would not cease from doing work. Maybe they will cease, obviously they ceased from doing uh, maybe paid work in a job that they've done for, for decades. But may they find and, and rediscover what they're passionate about, what the world needs and what they're good at, and may they use the time that they have left for your glory and for, for people. Oh, Lord, help us to not get stuck in places where we are doing things that you have not called us to do because the days are short, the time is short. And if there is somebody that needs to make a career move, a job change, may you give them the courage to do it. May you communicate to them and assure them that you will take care of their practical needs as they shift gears. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.